You're listening to Listen More with Paige Crystal Wilcox. This is a podcast where people from around the world offer their insights, reflections and suggestions on media representation. Something that's very important for this podcast as a sign of respect is to allow each guest to introduce themselves in the way that they see fit. So without further ado, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hey, well, Alan and Walalia to all of your listeners. Gwe Daluisi Amy Nina Ilnu, Nick Mark Deleo Wotiak, Mark Dugwek, Ak Deleoe Sambaratek, Oktagamu, Gatu Eskawazi, Jibotak Mimaki. A lot of listeners are probably confused. <laughs> Never heard that language before. What I said in my native tongue, in Mi'kmaq, was hello, my name is Amy. I am Mi'kmaq. My family comes from Humber River, which is now part of Cornerbrook Regional Municipality. I was born in St. John's, Newfoundland, as most people know it, Newfoundland, Canada, but I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. I am the lead storyteller at Pink Ilnu, where we believe in reconciliation through the power of storytelling. And I'm also a master's student at Mount St. Vincent University working on my thesis. Thank you so much for that wonderful, authentic introduction. Really, really wonderful to hear from you again. And I've appreciated the few chats that we've had already outside of this podcast. And I was very excited when you agreed to be on it. Ah, absolutely. We we always have such interesting conversations whenever we talk and we always go over time too. And that's how you know we have such a good connection, I find. I'm always making sure I don't book something immediately afterwards. (laughs) Because I know that's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a talker. A lot of people might not know this, but within the Canadian context, people would know. Um, I'm a Newfie, a Newfoundlander. Um, so I'm very talkative. Yes, I didn't know that was a thing. So I've just learned something new. Actually, no, you told me that last week. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all good. It's all you're learning. You're learning about Canada. You're learning about Newfoundland. It's it's great. I love it. <laughs> As we've had more discussions, hearing, I guess, how many similarities there are in terms of history and people in Canada and Australia, it's been quite fascinating. Would you be able to tell the audience a little bit about what, what you'll be speaking about on this episode in terms of media representation? Now, we did before this episode discuss that We may not be as structured as other episodes. It may be a bit more conversational just because of the nature of what you're talking about. But we will be covering the the core things of your lived experience in relation to media representation, some specific things that you'd really like to see less of, so things that are overrepresented, and things that you would like to see more of. So things that are either misrepresented or completely unrepresented. So what I'll be discussing today is the misrepresentation of Indigenous people in mainstream media. This is Indigenous peoples in a North American context, but it also applies to places like Australia and other regions that have been colonized. In terms of misrepresentation, could you tell me a little bit more about what you mean and if there are any specific examples that come to mind? 
oh my God, where do I start? As you and I both know from our past conversations, I could talk about this for an hour meeting. An hour meeting with you is not long enough to talk about these things. But one of the biggest problems it has been since first contact is stereotypes. Just a misunderstanding of even how these stereotypes came to be. A lot of people don't know, or if they do know a little bit of the information, misunderstand the context as to why, and I'll say them bluntly here, we're seen as lazy. We're seen as getting handouts from the federal government. Um, This is Canadian and I can speak to Canadian and American context here. Why we're seen as drunk on drugs, impoverished, the list goes on and on. And I think the reason that that happens is because we don't understand the history. We don't even understand, a lot of people don't even understand why Europeans thought the way that they did upon first contact. And a short little tidbit here about that, a lot of Europeans coming to the new world, the North Americas, We're coming here to get away from monarchies and they, a lot of the pilgrims didn't believe that religious values were being upheld. They did not believe that Europeans were under the monarchy religious enough. And they came to the new world for this religious freedom and for the opportunity of having a prosperous life. These values that they held were so patriarchal based on Christian values of patriarchy. And when they landed in the new world, they discovered matriarchal societies, societies that saw women as equal, as sacred life givers. They saw us honoring ourselves and practicing spirituality. And they saw it as blasphemous and inappropriate and of the devil and lewd. A lot of those stereotypes of indigenous peoples and I'm, you know, painting all Indigenous peoples with kind of one brush here just to make just to make a point. But they saw all of these Indigenous peoples as a threat to the patriarchy, to upholding the patriarchy. And the only way that they could, the European men, could maintain the power in this patriarchy was to see Indigenous nations as wrong. And a lot of these stereotypes, I feel like I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. I feel like I, I, uh, I kind Don't of mind I kind it of got... all. And I think it's no. all actually relevant. <laughs> this is all about building a deeper understanding so that writers can do better. Yeah. If a tangent is leading to that, yeah. go for it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So in order to maintain the Christian patriarchy, these European men convinced their their wives who were befriending the indigenous peoples that they were of the devil, savages, that they were lewd, libidinous, and and wrong and committing sins. And of course, as we know, (laughs) this led to mass colonization of lands, mass genocide, upwards of 90 to 95% of the original indigenous populations of the North and parts of South America were completely decimated and land was stolen. The indigenous peoples were pushed out. The five to 10% that remained that was not killed was pushed out to small pockets of land now known in 
the United States as Indian reservations and in Canada as Indian reserves. There's a slight different differentiation of the names of those pockets of land. A lot of these reserves, reservations, were not close to larger cities, were not given opportunity to for development, for proper education, job opportunities in what we now live in this capitalist society. A lot of them were ignored and treated like second-class citizens for the benefit of European settlers. A lot of these stereotypes were not only born upon first contact, but carried on and were made worse by the conditions created by European settlers, conditions that are still affecting people today, the year 2022. I feel like this misrepresentation comes from people who don't know their history or don't even understand the context of the history that they're taught. And these stereotypes continue to live on because of that misunderstanding, because of that misrepresentation. Yes, there is poverty. Yes, there is a lack of housing, food insecurity, boil water advisories. There is drug abuse, drug and alcohol abuse. There is a large number of children in foster care, which is a ripple effect of the 60 scoop and the Indian residential school system. But looking at these stereotypes without the context of the effects of colonization, like looking at these living conditions, looking at the situation that Indigenous peoples are in without the context of the effects of colonization, will continue to live on as stereotypes. And stereotypes without that understanding and without any form of empathy or sympathy continue to just live on as stereotypes without any form of reparation, any form of reconciliation, any hope for better conditions, better living situations for people in the future. You've already given the audience so much to think about. So in terms of ways to improve, would you say where writers need to do better or media producers, media creators need to do better is around researching and presenting the context for these stories? Yes, absolutely. If you present these tropes and these stereotypes just at a surface level, just at as what they are at a surface level, if, if there's no teachable moment, if there's no, I guess, messaging that really opens people's eyes, if you're just, I guess, you have the character there, they have, they're living their stereotype, there's nothing more to their character than that. And there's also no context as to why these stereotypes exist, as to why this person is perhaps um, could have gone through the foster care system or could be could have substance abuse issues. Then you continue to feed into these stereotypes and not provide, I guess, enough diversity in Indigenous representation. And that's the other thing, too, is that it's not just about the history. It's about understanding that what is now the United States of America, what is now Canada, and I don't want to speak out of term, but I can only assume what is now the country of Australia is made up of Canada. Canada is made up of dozens of Indigenous nations. And so when you say Indigenous person, when you say Native American, 
my first question is, okay, of what tribe? Okay, of what nation? I'm indigenous, I'm Mi'kmaq. My experience, my history is going to be kind of similar to that of the rest of the nations of what is now Canada, the nations of what are now the United States, perhaps even the nations of what is now Australia. But there's going to be a lot of differences as well in my experiences, my lived experiences, in how I look, in my features, in my characteristics. Even within my own nation, we all have our own unique personalities. So not every Indigenous person is going to be the same character. And writing them that way puts us into this very rigid, tiny, quite frankly, not enough space box. And for, for years, for decades, for generations, when it comes to the creative world, we've been put in that box and we're trying to break out. We're trying to break out of that box. Everything you've said resonates with me so strongly as I, as I knew it would. It's quite interesting hearing really a lot of similar themes in guests on this podcast who have very different life experience, but their experience with media is quite similar in, in the way of stereotypes. You use the word intersectionality, which people like you and I are very familiar with that word. It's still not that widespread. Could you explain to the audience what that word means to you and how it can or how it needs to be acknowledged and used for creating characters? My master's student brain just completely kicked in when you said that, when you, when you asked about intersectionality. I just pulled up here some of my work. I've used Kimberly Crenshaw's uh, work on intersectionality in my thesis in my thesis writing to explain what it is that I'm researching. So I'm researching the misrepresentations of missing and murdered Indigenous peoples uh, cases in, in the news media. I'm looking at Atlantic Canadian cases and local Atlantic Canadian news media. I've had to use Crenshaw's work to kind of help explain what it is that I'm I'm working on. And so she defined intersectionality as the idea that members of multiple historically marginalized groups are subject to a unique type of subordination. In her work, she talked about how Black women are members of both a marginalized racial group and a marginalized gender group. The racism faced by Black men, for example, Indigenous men, is going to be different than the racism faced by Indigenous women and Black women because they have those intersecting identities. It's the same for, let's say, an Indigenous woman who is also queer, perhaps two-spirited or another part of the, the queer community. Her experience is going to be different than a, a white gay man, for example. It's kind of like streets. And I'm not sure how it is in Australia, but there are certain intersections here where I live where you've got um, the two streets crossing perfectly. And so you have two intersections of your identity. But then there's also weird streets where you kind of, there's perhaps five or six streets crossing and that's part of your identity. Or there's a street that you have to kind of turn right and then turn left, but you're actually going straight. Um, and that's your intersect 
intersecting identity that could be used as a metaphor to explain somebody's intersecting identity. Yeah, that's probably one of the best ways I can describe it is is like streets crossing. So one street is your race and one's your gender and another street up above is your sexual orientation and another street up above is your class and another street is your disability or ability. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so people who have more streets intersecting have different experiences. Thank you so much for that explanation. And I've never heard it described through the use of streets before, unfortunately, because that is such a great way to explain it. We've come to the end of the episode now uh, because we are keeping these nice and short partly so that writers can listen to as many different perspectives as possible to to better inform themselves. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say as somebody who has fairer skin and blue eyes, but dark hair, I I know people who come in all shades, um, some who grew up on Indian reserves, Indian reservations who have blonde hair and blue eyes. If somebody tells you they're indigenous, they're indigenous. Indigeneity is your spirituality. It is your thoughts and your feelings. And it is how you present yourself to the world and how you live up to the seven sacred grandfather teachings, how you live up to your traditions and how you honor your ancestors. It's not your skin tone. And if you have any questions about representation, and want to have more diversity in your Indigenous representation, let me know. Let's have a chat. Yes, definitely. I can highly recommend conversations with you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It has been wonderful to hear your perspective, and I really do hope that it helps writers do the right thing with multi-layered intersectional characters. Absolutely. Wallalin to you, and off to all of your listeners. You've been listening to listen more with Paige Crystal Wilcox. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, head to my website, pagecrystalwilcox.com and don't forget to share and subscribe.